0: Welcome, and thanks for joining us at the Central Baptist Podcast. Now, here's today's message.
1: The scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 and 17 to 20. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because we had become very, you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labour and toil, We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed you to the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you now know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored with the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. You may be seated.
0: All right. Whew, what a Sunday. Well, uh, the half the staff had COVID this last week, and I thought, wouldn't it be quite something if I got COVID on my last Sunday? I thought that would be tragic, it would be funny, it would be appropriate after the last two years if I sent you a video, hey, See you later, Central. It's been good hanging out. That would have been quite the, uh, the way to finish, but I'm grateful. The Lord has spared me no symptoms whatsoever, so I'm, I, I am good to go. Uh, thanks to Corey. Thanks to the team, everybody who contributed to the videos and the humor. I mean, this, this whole leaving thing, it reminds me of this great scene where the nine heroes in Lord of the Rings. Oh, wait. Never mind. Never mind. The fellowship is broken. All right, let's begin with the word of prayer, shall we? There's no Lord of the Rings analogy today, I'm sorry. Yep, Father, I I have so many things in my heart today, Um, not even sure where to begin, but I know I want to begin a message the way we always begin, and that is to seek the power of your Spirit to speak through your Word to apply it to our hearts in the the way that only you can. And so, Father, would you do that again this morning, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, as I thought about what I should say on this last Sunday, I, I wondered how I should begin the sermon, and then I thought, how should I end the sermon? And then I thought, what should I say in the middle of the sermon? Uh, because I I just kind of sat there and went, how do I possibly capture uh, these last seven years? How do I capture the joy and the privilege that I feel at having been able to serve as your lead pastor over these last seven years? And so my mind kind of went back to where it all began with Central. Anyways, that was 2015. I was 38 years old. I was serving as the lead pastor at Dunbar Heights Baptist Church in Vancouver, right down by UBC. had served there for 13 years already. And it was the strangest experience for me. One day, it's like I woke up and my heart just left Vancouver. And I thought, this is the weirdest sensation I've ever had in my life. Maybe I just had something bad to eat last night. But I was deeply disturbed in my heart over this. And it didn't just go away. It stayed. And so I sought the Lord in some significant times of prayer and I wondered if perhaps the Lord was doing something new, and maybe he was calling us to something different, but I had no idea. I just remembered praying, Lord, if this is you preparing us for something else, then may your will simply be done. On one of the next Sundays, right around that time I lose track of the exact details, I saw a new couple sitting in church. And so I went up and I introduced myself to them, and they introduced themselves to me as John and Karen Tyson. Uh, members here, if you don't know them. Uh, Then they were very evasive. Every question I asked them, I was like, this is really odd. I asked them where they're from and eventually kind of came around to Victoria. And I said, oh, I I heard that you're, uh, no, I asked them, are you part of a church in Victoria? Thinking maybe they go to Central, because I know Central well. And uh, they were very evasive again and eventually did come out. They go to Central Baptist Church. And I said, oh, I heard your lead pastor, Dave Martin, has recently resigned. Praying that you guys find a new lead pastor. And in that moment, all of a sudden, a thought came into my head. Are they here to check me out? (laughs) And then I rebuked myself and I said, That was a really prideful, self centered thought you just had right there. But they were, in fact, spies sent out into the land. (laughs) Well, that week I was out for a run along the ocean. And again, I was looking out over the city of Vancouver, which I had prayed for many times. And again, I felt like my heart had just simply left Vancouver. I had a very powerful time of prayer and I can only say that in that moment God really showed me that our time was basically done in Vancouver. That I had no idea what any of this meant. I just surrendered my heart and my life to God again and then I got in my vehicle, I drove home, I immediately sat down on my couch, I got out my laptop and there was an email right in the top of my email list from a certain Brian Curry uh, introducing himself and saying he was the chair of the search committee here at Central Baptist and what I consider entering into a conversation to potentially uh, become the next lead pastor of Central Baptist Church. I could not believe it in that moment. I was I worshiped God and then I sent Heather a text and I said, "I'm pretty sure I just got a text or an email that I think is going to change our lives." And then really putting a bit of time together, two great things happened. Uh, One of the first was that my best friend, Wes Parker, ended up taking the role, my role, at Dunbar Heights Baptist Church. That filled me with great joy, and then you also voted me in, only at 96%, I might add. (laughs) And I don't know the reasons, but I did hear a few of you thought I was too young, so I don't know if that's legitimate or not. I won't hold it against you for all my life. Well, as I reflected over the last few years, somehow seven years just passed. Uh, We came here with some toddlers and some young children, none. none. First, the oldest was going into grade six at the time, and now somehow we're leaving here. We have no toddlers, and our oldest is going to McGill in fall, and I just can't even believe all the time that has happened. I've lost a little bit more of my hair. I blame you entirely for that as well. (laughs) My wife continues to defy the aging process. And so I think eventually people are going to think we got married at 22, and people are going to think that I married a teenager or something because they're going to think there's such an age gap here between us. Uh, But seven years, yeah, seven years has passed, and as a church we've done a lot of things together, and we've served God, we've experienced the grace of God in so many incredible ways as we sought to renew our community through the gospel. And so as I thought back over all this time I thought, what passage of Scripture even fits all of this? And the passage of Scripture I want to look at today captures a lot of my own kind of personal thoughts and then also the thoughts I want to leave with you and encourage you in as you move into the next season of life. And so it comes from Paul's letter that he writes to the church in the city of Thessalonica. And I'd say that this passage calls us today to do three things. Here's the first thing. Love all people especially those in your local church family. Paul calls us to love all people, but especially those in the family, the body of believers of which we are a part of. Here's the background of what's going on as Paul writes it in verses 17 and 18. Paul says, But since we were torn away from you, that's the church in Thessalonica, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. We wanted to come back and see you because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So Paul and his fellow missionaries had been in Thessalonica. They'd been there for quite some time, but due to circumstances, they were forced to leave. Paul says they were torn away. They didn't want to leave, but despite his absence, you can see Paul's deep love for this church family in this city. He says he's not stopped thinking about them. He earnestly desires to go back and to see them. He's, in fact, he's made every single effort to do so, but it's not been possible. Somehow, he says, Satan has stopped him. He doesn't say what that means. He doesn't explain it. I wish he would. He didn't, uh, but he just could not get back to see this church. But what we see here is how a Christian leader thinks about the church family that he has ministered in for quite some period of time. You can see his love. You can hear his emotions it really comes out in verses 19 and 20. Here's verse 19. He says, What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? So, so Paul's thinking ahead and he says when Jesus returns, he's going to boast in something, not in the prideful sense, but glory in, rejoice in. And what is it on, on the return of Christ he's going to glory in? Is it the vacations that he's taken? Is it uh, the, the hobbies that he does? No, no what he's going to glory in and rejoice in is this church family that he got to serve for a period of time in the city of Thessalonica. And so here's what he writes in verse 20. Is it not you? Are you not our hope, joy, and crown? For you are our glory and joy. Paul loved the people in this church. Listen to what he says in verse 8. He just kind of comes through everything. He says so being affectionately desirous of you. I have great uh, feelings in my heart for you. I love you is what he's saying. We were ready when we came to you to share with you not only the gospel of God, we shared that, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. So Paul's ministry, according to this verse, was marked by at least two things. First of all, his ministry was marked by preaching the gospel to them in this church, and then sharing his life with them so that they had grown together as they served Christ and they had known each other. This is why he feels such love for them, and this is how our family feels about the Central Baptist Church family as well. I have preached the gospel to you. We'll talk about that in the third point. But following up on Paul's second mark of his ministry there, He shared his own self with them. Our family has shared our life with you, and that's happened on many levels. I mean, corporately Sundays, being together, and then on larger group settings, maybe church picnics or all kinds of other things like that, and then smaller group settings. Our family's been part of family group the whole time. That's our community group. And then, of course, one-on-one and restaurants and coffee shops. Now, Central pre-COVID was 750 people, uh, so it's not like we are best friends with everyone. We wish we could know everyone, but it's a large church family. But we can truly say over the years, we have sought not just to preach the gospel to you, but to share our own selves, for you had become very dear to us. Together, as a church family, we've shared in so many things these last seven years. We've shared, for instance, and showed the joy of children being born and watching children go up. We've walked through the challenges of things like infertility and miscarriages. We've agonized over how to relate to adult children who are not following Christ and doing things that are very difficult for us as parents We've talked through what it means to follow Christ when we're young people, young adults, and in various types of life, being single, being married, all of these types of life. We've celebrated weddings and baby dedications. We've wept together at funerals and at gravesides. We've had coffees, lunches. Dinners, all kinds of get togethers, and we've enjoyed worshiping together on Sunday. I think there's been some Sundays we've been here, it feels almost like we've had a taste of heaven during our times of worship. The fellowship has been so sweet, the worship has been so sweet, it's felt like we've been in the very presence of God. We've walked alongside each other through major surgeries, physical pain, cancer, trauma. We've cheered at baptisms. Last week was fantastic for our family and many others. And of course, we've all struggled together through the challenges of a global pandemic. And so our family really echoes the words of the Apostle Paul. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. You can see in this passage Paul's vision for what the church is to be. And so I'm expressing our family's love to you, But we also see here a vision of what the church is to be and something I just want to press in on you a little bit as you continue into the next season of life. And the application is to ask yourself, do I love all people, especially my local church family? That's the whole context of everything Paul's talking about here. I think one of the major challenges coming out of the pandemic, not just for Central, but for Christians all around the world, Christians here in Canada, is the pandemic forced us to isolate from each other. And it gets pretty easy, pretty quick to sit on a couch and to just not be involved in things and to watch services and maybe get together with one Christian friend or something like that. But I want you to notice the vision that the Apostle Paul has for what it means to live the Christian life. And that vision is being part of a local church family. That is not just your best friends, but people who aren't like you at all. People are older than you, younger than you. People have different interests and hobbies than you. But in Christ, you're brothers and sisters. And so it's as we're together, we begin to able to share our lives with each other. So you've got to ask yourself, can I share myself, as Paul says that? That's very hard to do from a couch forever. I mean, we need to be online. We had to be online for a while. And those of you are watching online... There comes a time, and you got to decide this. I'm not laying down any rules. There's got to come a time, though, where you say, I am now going to take steps and be committed to my local church family to serve there and to give myself to them. So this is a transition period. We're coming out of this pandemic, but it is going to take some intentional decision-making to say, at a certain point, I want to share my own self with my church family so that we can love one another And grow together in all that the Lord has for us. So that's the first thing I think we see in this passage. We're called to love all people, especially those in our local church family. Here's the second thing help others to grow in Christ, especially in light of the great day. That's what we do. We love, we share our own selves, and it's for a purpose. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is not just that he loves people, he says, I love you, you've become dear to us, but also my whole goal with you has been to help you to grow in your knowledge of Christ and in your relationship with Christ. And Then he's specifically thinking in light of the great day, and the great day is the day of Jesus' return. On that day, Paul wants to joyfully present to God his life's work, which is the work he's done amongst the church in Thessalonica. He wants to present the people and say, God, here's what I've done with my life. I've helped these people to grow to know Christ. So, Notice that the entire context here is the return of Christ. Here's what he writes. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? That's the question. He's thinking of the future. He's thinking of this great day. We have to be clear here. He's not saying that somehow we earn heaven by serving Christ or doing good works or things. That's not not what the good news of Christianity is. We are saved only through Christ. But then as Christ saves us, we are to use our lives to serve him. And the way we serve him is to, one way, is to help others to grow, whether it's just through encouragement, walking alongside people, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. There's many ways that we can do it. Paul says, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that on that great day, our life's work will be put into the fire, so to speak. And here's what he writes. His work will be shown for it what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, especially, I used to be kind of scared of that great day. And there's something we've got to come to realize. If you are in Christ, there should be no fear for any Christian of that great day. It's a day of rejoicing. It is a great day of being with Christ. So there's no fear whatsoever for those who belong to Christ because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what this verse is saying, what Paul is saying, is there should be something in us that motivates us for how we use our lives once Christ has saved us because he wants us to use our gifts. And he says there are rewards. You will, he says, you will get in even if your life has kind of been wasted. But he says you get in only as one escaping through the flames. You still escape. But we want to come before our Father one day and for him to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. So here's the key thing so there's no misunderstanding. Your life will not be judged by my gifts and my abilities, and my life will not be judged by your gifts and your abilities. The simple question is this. Are we faithfully using all that God has given us to serve him? That's the simple question. For each individual, am I using my life to serve Christ with the gifts, the abilities, the money, the time, all these things that God has given to me? So Paul here is thinking about his life's work. He's thinking it will, how it will all be on that great day, and he's saying to the Thessalonians, you mean so much to me because you are my life's work. People are his life's work. He says, I've done everything I could to lead you to Christ and to establish you in him. And so he looks forward to presenting the Thessalonican church to God. He looks forward to doing this with all his churches. Paul, of course, was part of many churches. And so, for instance, he writes to the church in Colossae. He says basically the same thing. Him we proclaim, that is, Jesus we proclaim. We warn everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And then remember he said in, Thessalonica, in the Thessalonian letter that they are also his crown. His crown. Here's what he writes. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? A crown in the ancient times is like the, the wreath that you get at the Olympic Games. In our days, it's the gold medal. He's not saying that somehow he's boasting in his medal as if he's the greatest. That's not what he's saying. But it's like an athlete. If they win the medal, they look at the medal, and it's what it all represents. All the hard work, all the blood, sweat, and tears, and it's all worth it for what is received. And so Paul is saying that these people are so precious to him because of what God has done in their lives. And he's had the privilege of serving them, helping them to grow more towards Christ. And so each of us ought to look at our own lives as well and just simply ask ourselves, am I investing my life in other people? Am I seeking to serve them that they might know Christ more? We all do it differently with our gifts, with our abilities, but are we doing that? And so then, of course, I look at my life and I go, this is like Paul. I'm saying, this is what I've devoted myself to for these seven years, that you are the, my life's work in many ways. Now, I'm not a perfect man, and I'm not a perfect pastor, and after seven years, you know that. (laughs) And I know you're not a perfect church either. The honeymoon was over a long time ago. (laughs) So now we're finally at the place where we can be honest and real with each other, right? None of us are perfect. We have many failings, many sins. We extend grace to one another We're patient with one another, but at the end of the day, on the positive side, what Paul is saying to them is he's preached the gospel, he shared his life with them that they might grow in Christ, and that is what we say to you as well. We echo the words of the Apostle Paul. What is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And we've done all of this together This ministry is all together. This is never just about one person. It's all together. It's been a team effort, and it's been a joy to be a part of. And I just want to thank, for instance, the board chairs that I've got to serve under, John Garnett, John Yakleshek, Brian Dick, all the board members who have volunteered their time over the years, working through many difficulties, especially a global pandemic. Thank you to the board members who've served, to the staff, past and present staff, We have some incredible staff and even our present staff right now. Such incredible gifts, humility. You are going to be well served by them in the days and the months, whatever the time it takes to replace my position until the next lead pastor comes. You're blessed with great staff. Make sure you encourage them as they go along because this next season of life is not going to be entirely easy. To all the volunteers, there are so many of you who have volunteered in whatever capacity that might be whether it's from kids' ministry to youth ministry, neighborhood market to street teams, all of our tech volunteers, the musicians who are up here every single Sunday, I just say a big thank you to everyone. For all our ministries, community group leaders, uh, divorce care, grief share, every single thing. We could go on and on and on. For all of you who volunteered over the years, it takes the whole body to be able to be effective. And If you've served in anything over the years, I just want to say thank you. You have helped people to grow in Christ. So those are the first two things. Love all people, especially your local church family, and then help people grow in Christ, especially in light of the great day. And here's the final thing. Prioritize the gospel, especially in a culture that is hostile to it. Paul's number one purpose among all his churches, wherever he planted a church, was to preach the gospel. This is what we've talked about for seven years. I kind of thought, what do I say again now this time? Here's the recap Gospel means what? Good news. Oh, God, that just warms my heart. I can leave feeling like I've done something. <laughs> means good news. And what I've tried over the years to say over and over again so many people misunderstand what Christianity is about. They think of it as religion, and religion really is do this and God will maybe accept you, or you'll attain nirvana, or whatever it may be. You do this, and then maybe God will let you into his heaven, or whatever the afterlife is that you believe in. And what I've tried to show you over the years is Christianity, true Christianity, has nothing to do with that. It is something unique. It is something entirely different among all the religions and thought paths of the world. For it is the opposite. It's news. News is not something you do. News is something that's already happened. You can't do anything about it. It's already happened, whether you like it or not. And the great news is Christianity is called good news, not bad news, good news, because what has happened in history is such good news, such thrilling news, that it changes absolutely everything. And what is that good news? It is the news that God, our Creator, has not left us in our sin to face the judgment we deserve and for our world to collapse under the weight of our own sin, Rather, God has done something in history about it. He has sent his only son into this world. That Jesus gave his life upon that cross to die for us. And that God raised him from the dead in order that anyone who believes in him will have new life. And then from there to be transformed more to be like the perfect human being, Jesus Christ. And from there to have the great hope of a future where Christ will return. Give us resurrection bodies and we will be with him forever in a new heavens and a new earth. Christianity, at its heart, is not about what you do. It's about what God has done. And when you get that, then you can say, now I'm free to do. Because you're not doing in order to try to earn favor. You're totally free because you say, God has done it all for me in Christ, so now I'm free, and now, yes, we do a lot of things but never to earn favor. We already have the favor. You can't get more favor than to be an adopted son or daughter within the king's royal family. That's the good news. And Paul preached this gospel all the time. Wherever he went, it was the center of his ministry. But, of course, the culture sometimes was hostile to it. Saying Jesus is the only way to God, people are hostile to it. The cultures he went to are hostile to the Christian view of sexuality, of all kinds of things. And so Paul, for instance, writes these words earlier in the chapter. He says, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, they have been suffered for the gospel, did he stop preaching? No. He came to Thessalonica and he says, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you when we came the gospel. The good news of God, what God has done in Christ in the midst of much conflict. So this gospel, this good news is about Jesus Christ and it is Paul's highest priority. It's the heart of his ministry, it's the main thing. Have you ever heard that phrase, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing? Paul always kept the gospel at the center of what his ministry and life were all about. So even in this chapter, here's just one more illustration for you of what I have pressed home to you for seven years. Just read through this chapter and notice the gospels at the center of the chapter. Even the word is at the center of the chapter. Here's just two instances in the chapter. We already read verse 2. Here's two more. And then he says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. So the first thing he wanted to do was share the gospel of God with them, and then, of course, our own selves. And then in verse 9, the next word he says this. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we what? What did he do his whole time? Proclaim to you the gospel of of God. So Paul's whole strategy when he came into a city was to share the gospel of God so that when people people became Christians, they believed in Christ, and then continue to preach this good news to them in order to shape and form the church to what it was supposed to be. So the very first sermon I preached at Central had the same title as the one today. It's not the same sermon, no. It's a different sermon. Same title. Keep the main thing the main thing. And On that message, I preach from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul says that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, he calls it of first importance. Of first importance. In other words, Christianity teaches many things about prayer and about all these different topics, but not all things are of first importance. Paul says what the main thing, what is of first importance, the highest priority is what God has done in history through Jesus Christ, and as a result, what is still to come. So over the years, though, I've learned that this needs explaining. I learned it that first Sunday, that I had more work to do to make sure people understood what I meant by this. Because you want to know some of the reactions that first Sunday when I was here? Some people said, so what you're saying then is, when I said that the... This church and my ministry will be all about the gospel. It's going to be the center. Everything's going to be about the gospel. It's all going to come back to the gospel. It's going to flow out of the gospel. Some of the reaction was, I don't know if I want to be a part of a church like that. And I was surprised by that. I thought, that's very odd. But then I listened and I learned why. It was a deep misunderstanding of what, what, what I meant by that. People took Some people took that to mean, we're going to form a church that is only about this message that non-Christians need to hear. They understood the gospel is something the non-Christians need, and once you become a Christian, you need to move on to other bigger and better things. So what they heard was, we're going to center this whole church just around people who need to hear the good news about Christ, from kids' ministry to youth to Sunday morning, everything. It'll never be about anything for Christians at all. That's what we're going to be about. That's what people heard. And then I realized I've got a lot of work to do. Because it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the gospel is and how it works. Here's just an easy way to show it. In writing this letter where in the second chapter we just looked at, Paul talks about the gospel all the time. He says he proclaimed it to them the whole time he was there. Here's the question. Is he writing to Christians or to non-Christians? To Christians, to the church in Thessalonica. So, yes, he went there. He planted a church. He shared the gospel so that people believed in Christ. But then did he say, okay, now we've, we've believed the gospel. Now you've kind of finished that. Now we're going to go on to all these bigger and better discipleship talk of it. Is that what he says? No, he says the whole time he was with them, he proclaimed the gospel of God to them, which should make you realize, hmm, there's something wrong with my thinking if I think this gospel is only something that a non-Christian needs to hear and Christians need to hear other things. Too many people misunderstand this and when the penny drops, I'll call it the gospel penny, when this penny drops and you see, oh, it applies to everything. You never move beyond it. When that penny drops, everything changes for you. I hope it's changed for you over the years. Too many people think the gospel message is what one author calls the ABCs of the Christian life. So you You go to kindergarten, you learn the ABCs, but you kind of leave them behind, right? You you need to move on to bigger and better things. That's how a lot of people think of the gospel message, just something that people need to hear in order to become Christians. But as one author says, it's not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z, the A to Z of the Christian life. It's the totality of the Christian life. It encompasses everything, and that's because the gospel, the good news, is about a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Here's what changes it all for you. Think of it this way. What if I said to you, uh, you need to believe in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And so you say, okay, I've, I believed in Jesus now. And what if I said to you, all right, now that you've believed in Jesus to have your sins forgiven and be given eternal life, now we need to leave Jesus behind and go on to bigger and better things. See, if I put it to you like that, now you're like, what? You can't, you can't leave him behind. Exactly. So when you hear the word gospel, it should be a synonym for Jesus Christ. It's the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So you never leave Jesus behind. You get introduced to him, you embrace him, you believe in him, and then what do you do? You get to know him more and more. You go deeper and deeper and deeper into this giant story of what God has done and what God will do for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So here's maybe one of the easiest examples to show this connection on how not just a non-Christian, but a Christian needs the gospel to function in their life. Take the issue of forgiveness. Do you ever struggle with bitterness or anger against other people? Yeah, okay, so some of us do. but So let's say you've become a Christian. How do you forgive someone else when they've wronged you? Let's just assume for the argument's sake, they truly are in the wrong. How do you get a heart change in that moment? I mean, lots of people will tell you to forgive. Every psychologist will tell you the benefits of forgiveness and how if you don't, it's going to eat you up from inside. It's only ruining you, so you need to learn to forgive. Oprah will tell you to forgive. But where do you get the the, the inner motivation? Where do you get a heart that's not just bitter anymore but is melted towards the other person so that you can actually not hold it against them anymore and you're free and you can move on? How do you get that? Not through guilt... Not through a pastor standing up here saying, God says forgive, you must forgive, because God said so. It's not going to do anything to your heart. Our hearts, as I've said to you before, are like steel rods. If you hammer them, they do not bend. What they need to do is be melted. You can bend steel if you melt it. And that is what the gospel does. It warms our cold hearts so that they can be molded and shaped to be like Jesus Christ. So how do you get the power to forgive? You need to go deeper in the gospel. Paul puts it so simply in Colossians. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's maybe the easiest example. When you become a Christian, you need to forgive. Where do you get the inner motivation in the heart to do it? By going deeper and deeper into what God has done in forgiving you. In other words, you need the gospel as a Christian. It didn't just get you in. It's what you need more and more and more of so that your heart can actually forgive. Think of a few other examples. As Christians, we're called to share this gospel with others. How do you get the motivation to do that? Is it by a pastor standing up here hammering on his people? You must share Jesus. You must do this. God commands it. Ah, It's not going to do it. Guilt's a poor motivator. It might last for a little bit. It doesn't last very long. You know what is a great motivator? Joy. Why is joy a great motivator? Listen, you will always talk about, everybody does, listen to them. Everybody talks about what they love. You always talk about what you love. Whatever thrills your heart, you will talk about it. So what will motivate us to share Christ with others? When Christ thrills our souls, when our hearts are so filled with what he has done that we just say, I've got to share this. I don't even know how. I want to. Jesus, teach me how. Give me opportunities. I'm blundering my way through, but I'll do my best. But you are so glorious. If you want to grow deeper in sharing others with Christ, what you need most is to go deeper into the gospel or take another topic You become a Christian, your sins have been forgiven, but you still struggle with shame and condemnation over sins you committed in the past. You know you're forgiven, that's what the gospel says, and yet you're still feeling the shame and the condemnation over the past sins. What's going on there? You need to go deeper into the gospel. It hasn't fully settled yet. It hasn't fully cleansed your heart and as you go deeper and you learn of what words like justification mean, propitiation means, adoption means, you're going deeper, you're oh, I didn't even know what those words were. And then you begin to know not just what they are, but what it means to you. Then all of a sudden you come to this point where the shame and the guilt and the condemnation of the past sins falls away and you shout with Paul, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or one other example I've done many times with you, again, to make the connection between living the Christian life and the gospel, how do you deal with bereavement when another Christian you know loves uh, that you love has passed away? What you need is the gospel. And that's what Paul gives you, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. What's the gospel? That Jesus died for our sins and rose again, And what's the gospel logic? What's the gospel connection? He says, since Christ died and since Christ was raised from the dead, there is a future coming when God will also raise from the dead all who belong to Christ. And he will bring us all together and we will be with the Lord forever. So then all of a sudden you go deeper into that. You say, there's one who's conquered death. There's one who's coming again, who will give us resurrection bodies, who will bring us into a world where there's no more pain or suffering or tears. That's the gospel. He's done it already in history. And there's a future coming for us because of what he did in history. And so we say, oh, wow, now I have hope in the midst of my bereavement. And so that's why Paul can say, we grieve, oh, we grieve, but we do with hope. We need more of the gospel. So like Paul, what I have tried to do over the years with you is to show you what the gospel is, what the gospel is not, and to help you to learn what it means to apply it to your own life into every single area. That's why the vision of our church has been centered on the gospel, because Jesus Christ is the heart of it all. The Jesus and Jesus alone can save us from sin, from judgment, from death. Jesus and Jesus alone can strengthen us and carry us. And Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy of all honor and praise and blessing. Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. And so I pray that my ministry amongst you, my sermons, teaching, leadership, all these types of things, I pray that they will have led you closer to Christ, that you might know him more. But you know what? At the end of the day, <clears throat> I echo the words of the Billy Graham of the 18th century, the great evangelist George Whitfield, when he said these words. Let the name of Whitfield be forgotten. Let it be trodden under the feet of all men, if Jesus may thereby be glorified. Let my name die so that the cause of Jesus may live. And so I leave you with one last story, a story which... I hope will summarize everything and a story I hope will stay with you and will be a defining mark of your life and of Central as it moves forward. The story is about a famous Italian conductor named Arturo Toscanini. It's about an evening where he was conducting Beethoven's most famous, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And the audience was so moved by this rendition of Beethoven's Ninth, by Toscanini's conducting of it, that when it all finished, they gave him a 10-minute standing ovation. He he just couldn't believe it. He just stood there. He took his bows. He took more bows. And the audience just kept on applauding. They They would not stop. He turned to the orchestra. The orchestra was bowing to him. Everybody just kept on clapping and cheering And finally, after 10 minutes, that's a long time to have a standing ovation, he finally hushed everyone down. And he turned to all the audience and he said to them, Who am I? Who are you? I am, in a sense, nothing. You are, in a sense, nothing. But Beethoven beethoven is everything. And friends, we've worked together to do many things. We're not a perfect church. We have many weaknesses. But by God's grace, many great things have been done. We've sought to reach our city. We've sponsored two refugee families. We've started things like neighborhood market and street teams. We've seen many people come to Christ. Many people baptized. we sponsored 150 Compassion kids, Kids Through Compassion, developed major partnerships with places like Camp Quanos and Mission San Catin in Mexico. We've done kids ministry and youth ministry. We've walked through a global pandemic together. We've married people, buried people. We've had staff here, staff moved on, hired new staff. We've worshiped, preached, sang and served. And at the end of the day, it's all wonderful and right. And we want to encourage one another. And we should, we should always encourage each other, applaud one another when we see somebody doing well. But at the end of the day, all that applause points up to the one who gave up all of the worship of heaven to become a man and taking on a human nature, to the one who died upon a cross for our sins, to the one whom God raised from the dead. To the one whom he's seated at his right hand. To the one who's been given all authority. In heaven and on earth, the one to whom all worship and honor is due. And so I say, in the end, who am I? Who are you? In a sense... Barton Prieb is nothing. In a sense, you are nothing. But Jesus is everything. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for sending your son. Jesus, that you that you would voluntarily give your life for us. Your patience with us, your kindness to us your heart for your people, the hope that we have because of you. We praise you and we give you the honor that is due to your name. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen.